Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and Bird Show. You know, it's been a while since I've pointed this out, so I might as well put forward this disclaimer. The Bloke and the Bird Show is recorded in front of a live studio audience. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you have been watching way too much Cheers lately. Possibly, because they started doing it again. You are going through an 80s television show revival in our very own home. Well, it's because I know that most of of those 80s and some of the 90s sitcoms, because we've been watching Frasier and, to a lesser extent, Third Rock from the Sun, um, for the most part, they are safe for the boy to watch. Third Rock from the Sun, it turns out, is a bit more risque than I remember it being. But, hey, he's a teenager. I think our perspective of risque really changes as as our son gets older and as we have become more parents because I don't recall some of the things of my youth being all that, you know, risky. And yet I watch them now and go, Ooh, but I, but (laughs) I do remember that. Well, I don't remember so much with with third rock of the sun having so many, so much sexual innuendo. I do remember there was a lot of it on Doogie Howser. Really? Oh, yeah. There were long discussions and lots of, almost every single episode about him and his buddy. Was his buddy Vinny? I don't remember. But them trying to to have their first experience. I was not a huge Doogie Howser fan, Mm. so I can't comment to that. I think I only watched the first season. But I can tell you that beloved movies of my youth, I have now watched with my face behind my own knees. <laughs> um, I would strongly suggest that if you are curious as to what some of those movies might be, I would suggest that you watch Grease, Back to the Future, the first one, um, any of the John Hughes films. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what they were. Yeah. I mean, any anything that is that was supposed to be a teenage coming-of-age film, well, yeah, that, I mean. <laughs> that makes sense. But I remember not like not connecting with it in sort of that way. It was much more about, you know, it was it was me at that time, and I connected with it on that level. I did not see it from the grown-up now trying to parent standpoint. I, I, I'm going to throw this warning out to you now. He does The teenager does not get to watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High until he's 21. That's, that's your line? <laughs> That's the line is Fast Times at Ridgemont High? No, it's just the one that came to mind. (laughs) That one there, you don't want him watching now. Now, we did talk about possibly letting him watch Blues Brothers, which I know was rated R when it came out. Well, we're going to have to figure out about that. I mean, mean, there's other things. Like, as innocent in so very many ways as other movies were, and things that I saw as a 13, 14-year-old girl, I don't know. kind of question and then you have to look at the fact that then there's also so many movies out there that have more violence in them and is that different than the sexual innuendo you know where, where the do you lethal draw? weapon movies all of the lethal lethal weapon movies all the terminator movies um you know where does that line get drawn because at some point they do have to stop watching disney films yeah and i was just reading something from some comment of on Facebook of some mother's group that she was looking for film recommendations, but her children found Disney films to be too violent. And I went, 
I don't think we would have been able to watch movies if we had thought that. <laughs> wow. Well, on the note of that special snowflake, <laughs> let's talk about Formula One, shall we? The world of special snowflakes. Wow. <laughs> Everyone parents differently. We are judged by ours all the time. <laughs> so to Formula One. Yes. Silverstone. You yes. know, the, the, the circuit that um, is going to host the British Grand Prix but might not host the British Grand Prix. Grand Prix, but they they want to host the British Grand Prix that that might be for sale. Um, that that has a deal in the works with Jaguar Land Rover that doesn't have a deal in the works with Jaguar Land Rover. That maybe Jonathan Palmer's company might be buying, it, but no, actually they're not going to be buying it. So more off and on again <laughs> than the whole Sam and Diane controversy of 1985. Okay, who <laughs> is watching too much Cheers? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope that the target demographic of our audience would understand that reference. Uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> if, if not, go watch Cheers. It's on Netflix. If not, go watch CNN's um, the, oh, 80s. the 80s. Yeah, there you go. They did a whole episode, two on episodes Cheers? on well, on TV of the oh. 80s and that appointment television that really sparked in the 80s. Highly recommend. Bloke and the Bird, top recommendation. Okay, so... Back to Silverstone, and they're on again, off again. What Sam are they doing? Sam and Diane relationship. Uh, the British Racing Drivers Club, which owns the track, uh, released a statement to its members stating that it has decided to shelve discussions about a sale of the circuit. So off again. Yeah. Um, the statement added that the move is, quote, not without risk. Um, what the... the the brdc is saying is that they have decided to try and work something out with uh liberty media because that's what is truly driving this is the british grand prix and whether or not they can afford to do it so that they are now hoping that they can work something out with liberty media that would allow them to host the circuit and keep the track financially viable oh cool so that that's what the hope is here well, I mean, I think Chase Carey has even come out and said that he's open to undoing some of the extortion of burning. Yeah. The, the question is how much they're going to want to do and, and, and what they're looking for profit margins and, and all of that. And whether or not they think they can offset what they're going to lose in Bernie's extortion fees uh, with increased revenue. You make it up in volume. Well, that, that would be the hope. But if you make it up in volume, then you make everybody happy because the track makes money. You make money. The fans are happy. I mean, there's other ways to make money in Formula One. Yeah. I mean, just ask Tavo Hellman. What does Tavo Hellman have to say about well, it? Well, Tavo has a lot to say about it. Most notably, and all of this comes from uh, the Austin American Statement. Statesman, which is the newspaper down in Austin, uh, did an article about uh, Tavo Hellman's latest efforts in Formula One, in particular, his attempts to purchase Manor. Oh. And talks more about Tavo in general. Um, so, so all of this comes from the article. Uh, it reminds us that, you know, in the past seven years, Tavo has been approached numerous times by investors how, asking how they could get involved with a Formula One team. And his advice has been simple. Don't. Ooh. Um, actually, he uses 
he, he paraphrases something that we've said a few times. It's good to know that Tabo is a dedicated listener of the Woke and the Bird. Possibly. Uh, Tabo says, how do you make a small fortune in F1 racing? Start with a large fortune. Um, he then goes on to talk about the Manor deal and what was going on with Manor. He said, at one point we had agreed to terms um, to, to buy the team, which he acknowledged was, quote, the Cleveland Browns of Formula One. Ooh, he is a bloke in the bird listener. <laughs> Tabo, we love you. Thank you for listening. Um, Hellman's group has been because he was leading a, an investment group to, to buy the team. Uh, his group was has been described elsewhere as Texan, but he said that wasn't the case. It included New York financier Jim Carney, who was out front with Hellman, an investor from Florida, another from Canada, and two from Mexico. Although Hellman says neither was multi-billionaire Carlos Slim. And his name had been tied into a possible deal with Manor at one point. He said they all had their different reasons for wanting to invest. Uh, the first go-around, they were even going to involve Lewis Hamilton's father, Anthony. They made two stabs at it and offered 22 million pounds a year and a half ago. But Hellman said that uh, Patrick Fitzpatrick, who owned the team at the time, initially wanted more. And there were other interested parties. Those were linked to a possible sale, including Indonesian Kentucky Fried Chicken magnate Ricardo Galeal, former McLaren chairman Ron Dennis, and a group of Asian investors. Also, representatives from Andretti Autosport were spotted touring the facilities in uh, Banbury. Wow, that's a lot of really big-name people interested in the Cleveland Browns of Formula One. Well, as you'll recall... This is the cheap way of getting into Formula One. Even um, um, Gene Haas said the way they did it was the wrong way. And if they were smart, they would have bought the team as opposed to just buying some of their facilities. Right. Because that's what they did. Um, according to Hellman, other factors that made Manor attractive were its relatively small debt. It's lean team of slightly more than 200 employees and the fact that it seemed to be turning the corner in performance. Oddly enough, the team's dearth of sponsorship was also considered a plus. Hellman explained that picking up about $20 million a year in sponsorship was a way his group planned to make Manor at least a break-even proposition. Then there was the long-shot possibility of hitting a home run. With new ownership, U.S.-based Liberty Media changes coming to Formula One. If the sport ever goes to a franchise system like the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, owning a spot on the grid might make a team, even one like Manor, worth perhaps $350 million, as speculated by Tavo. Wow. He also says that they were looking to form a partnership with one of the big manufacturers, Mercedes or Honda. They had conversations with both. That way you can get motors, discounted motors, and get a driver. It's almost like being a triple-A baseball team. Hellman said a larger team might pay $5 million to place a promising driver on a smaller team, while a second seat could fetch twelve million to $15 million in the way of a paid driver. And in another piece of that puzzle was a $5 million tax credit that Hellman said is available from the British government for small technology firms. However, then Brazil happened. He said things were starting to come to their terms, then Brazil happened. Because suddenly the outlook changed, and so did the offers for the team, which was worth substantially less. 
because as a result, in Bra- after Brazil, Manor finished out of the money for the season and put into jeopardy the $34 million payout for finishing in a top 10 two out of three years that they would have gotten. Unless Manor finished in the top 10 in 2017, it would miss that payment and be behind the eight ball in the future, having to finish in the top 10 two straight years to get back into that lucrative pool. Oh, wow. To Helmut appeared the only way to avoid that fate was to ready a car for the 2017 season that could at least finish 10th. Uh, he said that they felt that the, the team had reached a critical time in the development of the car for next year. He added that after a year and a half, his investors were getting deal fatigue, and as things dragged on, Manor's only hope became running last year's car in 2017, which pretty much guaranteed a finish out of the top 10. Oh, wow. And this is why I hate that allowance being made for teams to stay in the sport. Because it does not give a chance, the, the team the chance to compete, the team the chance to stay in the prize money or to re-earn that prize money that they so desperately need. I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you 110%. Um, what, I'm, I, what I really love about this piece that you, you brought up is that behind, pull back the curtain and get to see sort of the mechanisms of how you buy a Formula One team and what goes into it i mean they worked on this deal for almost two years yeah to have it lost in one race that's kind of sad well more than just that even without this deal our understanding was any hope for the team surviving disappeared at that one race Mm -hmm. well because losing the prize money meant that they could no, they would not be able to (coughs) compete without some sort of miracle or angel investor and how do you become an angel investor for something that's not producing? Exactly. And they wouldn't take my pocket lint as an option. Well, you know, the other option, and we're not quite there to talk about them yet, you know, take a look at Sauber. I can't. I can't. I have fundamental. You refuse to support Monisha? I can't. Replace your team principal and I'll give you my pocket lint. What about Haas? I could I could get behind Haas. Can we talk about Haas just yet? You know what? We, we might as well because I didn't have anything else in the lineup. Okay. Um, we do have over on the website, this the morning that we are recording, both Haas and Red Bull released their, their – they took the covers off their 2017 cars. Haas was the first one to get us the media, so Haas was the first one up. All right. So – I knew that we were going to have a show that is all going to be about colors and livery and style and everything like that, but I need to lead with this one point. You didn't think Haas was going to go and camouflage their car so it blended in with the rest of the grid? Well, there's definitely that. (laughs) But that wasn't the point I was going to lead with. They have a picture of Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen standing next to each other in their new coveralls. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's all proud of the new coveralls that everybody's getting. And I got to tell you something. I know that neither of these guys are terribly old, but standing next to Roman Grosjean, Kevin Magnuson looks 12. <laughs> that blonde haired, baby faced child, I just want to put him in a pram and move along. That is a baby. I don't think he can grow facial hair yet. I think he can do that. I don't know. I mean, you got to look at them standing side by side to each other. <laughs> Roman Grosjean looks old. 
Well, he's not exactly. I mean, Rojan. Rojan. Wow. Wow. That, that's almost worse than Rogro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Roman, he's been around the track quite a bit. He's On been his around. Face? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no, I mean he he's been in a series for quite a few years. This is actually, and yes, it's the longer stint, but it, it's his second time in Formula One. He originally started with Renault when the first time the, the Renault was a factory works team. So he he's been in a series for a while. He's not a young guy. I don't think he's he's the oldest one on the grid, but uh, but he's probably one of the older folks there he's not he does not count as a young driver anymore oh he's not a young driver i get that but um there's there's key phrases he has not aged well road hard put up wet possibly comes to mind i don't know about that that scruffy beard needs to go okay it needs to go I have style points taken away from Roman Grosjean, but doesn't change the fact that Kevin Magnussen is a child. Okay. That's probably why his password's uh, taped, to his, <laughs> taped to his computer, because he's a child. Um, okay, so Haas's livery. Now, I know this will stun you. It is black, white, and red. Uh, no, there's no white. There was white on the, the finny thing. Oh, I the- saw it. Yes, the Haas typeface is white, um, but it is more black than it was in previous years, and it's gray, and it's it, it's more gray and black than it is anything else. This is this is not the car of of excitement. It has got white on the edge of that shark fin. Oh yeah, that that's it. I'm it's, telling it's, you, there's more gray, which you didn't mention. You oh, said yeah. black white. This is more it's a gray, gray and black, black car. With red and white accents. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've always discussed that white makes cars go faster. That's Ferrari's theory. And, you know. If they would, there'd be more. No, white highlights. Cause it, it, it's white highlights. If they really the believe that, they'd run a white car. Yes. Now, I have to tell you, their shark fin, mm-hmm. I think, is actually stylish looking. I loathe the shark fin in general. Really? Yes. I, I was unaware that, that you were... One of the anti, there is a growing crowd on the internet, including uh, folks such as Martin Brundle, and and I got a question, Martin, on this. But Martin Brundle, who are anti Finn. Now Martin is one of those folks who he's driven in WEC. Mm-hmm. WEC cars feature a Finn and have for many many years, Maybe and we don't hear people complaining about the Finns on the WEC cars. Maybe it's an appropriate thing on a WEC car, and Martin has determined that it is inappropriate. Well, his argument is that at least the fin on the WEC cars, it doesn't stick out above the the car. And for some of these, especially, and, and, and this is what was really odd. We, we got pictures on uh, Sunday. Yeah, it was last, last Saturday or last Sunday of the Williams car. And it didn't have a fin it had a bit of a ridge back there and then yesterday we got pictures of the williams car which not only had the fin but it had striping to draw your attention to the fin Mm -hmm. i didn't like that okay so in most of the cars that we have looked at i personally think now i should warn you 
my hatred of the fin is not based in any aerodynamic or science knowledge. And, and that's the same for most people who are against it. It is purely it, aesthetics. If right. you show me that this car is amazing because it has this thing, I may retract my statements. However, I reserve judgment. Every one of these fins looks like... Um, it looks like a paper airplane to me is what it looks like. It looks like they've added a piece of fold to the paper to stick it up. It doesn't look like it's part of the car. It doesn't look like it was thought out. It was, hey, we're going to slap this extra piece of metal right here and make it a fin. I think at least Haas is because it has that curve in to make the notch. It's sculpted. It's sculpted. <clears throat> it looks like, to me, like it was intentional. Like it was not an afterthought. Like possibly makes the car look like it's moving while it's standing still that i cannot i can accept this fin but you take this and i look at what other cars have done and i'm going they didn't even try to make that look like it's part of the car it's like bolted on now there is a legitimate aerodynamic reason for the fin and i should mention that first of all the idea is the idea behind that fin is it controls and, and kind of directs the air that's headed to the tail fin. And by doing that, it makes that tail much more effective because it's got the air directed to it as opposed to coming from all over the place. Um, thereby helps with drag and performance and, and all of those various. That's the idea behind it. But apparently when it was first run in, I think, 2009, people hated it, and that was one of the reasons why it was taken away. And you've got to also kind of wonder here, and, and as much as for the most part the fin doesn't bother me, but the one of the big drivers behind the regulation changes this year that brought us the designs that we're seeing was this idea that the cars needed to look racier. They needed to look more attractive. So if that was the idea, the thought of allowing the fin to happen seems odd. Yeah. But like I said, I think that the Haas application of said fin does look pretty cool. I will give that a cool version of the fin considering with a big giant asterisk that says I hate the fin. So moving on. Okay. So next up. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to some other cars in a little bit. Um, if you recall a couple of weeks ago before, before you, you went off to the woods, um, <laughs> you did. I didn't go to the woods necessarily. You, I communed with the Amish. Were there woods around? Um, yeah. See, so you went off to the woods. Okay. To the lake, honestly. But before you went to the woods, and w by the lake, uh, <laughs> Ferrari sent a letter. Did they ask for another rule clarification so that they could rat somebody well, else well, out again? Th this is just a reminder that there was that rule clarification that they were doing to, to rat somebody out because they didn't like the suspension that was in use. Mm -hmm. Well, we're still waiting, and hopefully this week we will get the um, some kind of a, a more official ruling and guidance from Charlie Whiting um, regarding these suspension systems however the teams apparently got together to discuss this is you know do we need to make some changes to the rules because they can still do that they've got to be unanimous right now but to take a look at it and as expected 
the great deliberative body of the teams that is known for not compromising and not bending did exactly that. Compromised and bent? No, they did. They, oh. they not compromised and not <laughs> bent and did not come to an agreement as to what to do. Excellent. <coughs> so Mercedes says that they are confident that what they are running is legal and will continue to be legal and uh, intend to continue to run it. But this is something that could drag out to it at least Australia, if not further. So once the – they can't make something illegal mid- mid-season, can they? What would be the process for that? Um, yeah, actually they can. As you recall, there were the changes to the rules that came out that said that you can't tell the drivers how, you know what switch settings to be in to start their car – um, there was the change to the Frick suspension or the banning of the Frick suspension uh, two years ago that came down mid-season. And this is apparently um, several teams' answer to the banning of the Frick suspension. And, you know, is this interpretation legal? Got it. <coughs> Interesting. Mercedes, I'd suggest that you come up with plan B. And they might. I don't know. I can't believe that they're fully unprepared for this. I mean, seriously, they're Mercedes. They have to be prepared for any eventuality. Other news that has come out okay. in overall broadcasting and race coverage. And at first I, I saw this and I'm like, well, duh, they just now figured this out. And then I learned a little more about what the concern is here. But F1 is apparently, they have done the testing, and they are now fully capable of delivering broadcast directly to the Internet. And this is following tests that were carried out between them and uh, their communications partner, Tata Communications, last year. So directly to the Internet. Now, at first thought, you're thinking, well, yeah, I could go to YouTube or I could go to BitTorrent and I can just get these recorded races no problem. You know, how many places are doing streaming? I mean, mm-hmm. duh, this shouldn't be an issue. What they were looking to do was this wasn't just a matter of, hey, look, we can stream a race because that's easy. This was, hey, look, we can stream the race and we can keep it synced up with all the various telemetry feeds that we want to give you for timing and scoring and those elements. Ooh. So those times when I can't sleep and I'm open up a race at three o'clock in the morning and I have to read the commentary to know what's going on because I can't see it. I could see it and read the commentary at the same time. That's essentially what they're talking about, that they have that capability now. Now, how that's going to translate into future online offerings from Formula One, that we don't know. But it does mean that if Formula One wanted to offer a synced up online distribution channel, they could. My concern here is that we know what the world feed looks like. You want to know what, what the, the, the raw world feed looks like. If you have an Apple TV, go watch NBC Sports uh, streaming of any practice session. Right. That's the raw world feed right there. There's no commentary. There's nothing. And it's just random camera. Well, we don't want that. We truly want what the broadcasters bring to the table with their offering. What I really would like, and again, we're willing to pay for it, is I would like to be able to, um, on demand, 
watch any broadcaster's uh, coverage of a race that I want at any time. Hence the on-demand. You aren't at least bit demanding at all. Again, I'd be willing to pay for it. And I, I you know, you know, we're not turning around and, and saying Formula One should make all their content for free. They sh- mm-hmm. th- that they should, and honestly, I think if they just did timing and scoring for free all by itself, that's not bad. Especially live timing and scoring. But to get access to my broadcaster of choice, mm-hmm. so that I don't have to watch. You know, the, the the broadcaster that that pays the FIA the lowest possible amount just so they can get the raw feed and nothing else. But to actually get some color and depth into my coverage. That's huge. And I'm not saying give it to me for free. Because that's expensive to do. Right. So many thoughts. But. You know, I, I'm not sure about would I want to pay the FIA or uh, Liberty Media to then have to pay back, the, like, for example, Channel 4. Mm-hmm. Because that's it's going to be a pass-through cost if you well, think yeah. about it. So here, so kind of follow the, the, the chain here. Channel 4 has purchased a certain level of rights from Liberty. Mm-hmm. And now Liberty is going to sell on their behalf the ability to subscribe, let's say, mm-hmm. to a feed from Channel 4 to people that are worldwide audiences, mm-hmm. which would allow expats around the world and those of us non-expats that wish to be um, access to that coverage. Um, so if Liberty sold it, and let's just make up you know, random monies. If Channel 4 bought it from Liberty for $10 and Liberty sold it out for a dollar a person, then they would pay back to Channel 4 50 cents on the dollar mm-hmm. back. So you could wind up in a situation where if this caught on in such a way that Channel 4 would be paying Liberty $0 for access... Because enough subscribers would come in the other direction. How is that any different from Channel 4 selling ads now and generating revenue off the ads that Pepper... And and the same thing with NBC Sports and Sky Sports and generating revenue off of the ads that they have sold as part of their pre- and post-race coverage. Or in the case of NBC Sports, to interrupt their actual coverage. At key critical moments. Um, no, it's not any different. It's, I'm kind of like working this out as to how it could be beneficial for Liberty. It, that's the concern I have is that Liberty's revenues would possibly drop. Yes and no. If, if you look at it from the perspective of Liberty can turn around by marketing directly to um, folks who – to, to the internet, say you live in a country that doesn't get that that doesn't have an outlet that covers Formula One. Mm-hmm. It allows you to turn around and offer them video because they don't have it. Right. Say you live in a country that um, the provider who carries Formula One does a crappy job of it. 
because they don't see the value in it. By then allowing your uh, folks who live in that country to purchase directly from Formula One coverage that is as good, if not better, than what you're getting in country, you're also incentivizing those carry th- those broadcasters to either up their coverage or to walk away completely. Right, and I have a feeling that the answer would be to walk away completely, and you would narrow the field of people doing coverage to those with the name recognition of having excellent coverage. And in that case, how is that necessarily a loss for Liberty? Because Liberty, okay, so they they run off the folks who don't really want to invest in their coverage, and as a result, their viewers turn around and pay Liberty for the privilege of watching Formula One. And they get the possibility of adding to that viewership because now all the folks who weren't happy with their coverage, with the coverage that they had access to to begin with, are also willing to pay. But you also lose the ability for surprise finders. You have some level of people that will find Formula One by flipping through the channels. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, a tenth but, of a percentage of your population, but, but you're when you look lose at that Nor- when there is no access. But when you look at North America, and how many how the vast majority of racing is carried or, or formula 1 racing is carried at non-prime viewing hours how much are you really getting from those random folks i mean yes i know there are insomniacs out there who are flipping channels at 2 in the morning going oh look at the cool car mm-hmm. but are there a lot of them hey the sleep deprived unite <laughs> You have to play with the numbers. I mean, my concern would be that if the model completely flipped over to a subscription through Liberty and then Liberty wound up paying out to Channel 4 and Sky Mm -hmm. and Germans Channel 4 and whatnot, paid them to produce the good coverage... It's not going to take a, a large leap for Liberty to turn around and go, wait a minute, I'm now paying 50 cents on the dollar for the incoming subscribers, which might keep their top line revenue the same, but their profitability will go down because currently they're just getting a check. They're getting a check from mm-hmm. all the different providers and don't have to pay it back out in any way. So their top line revenue may go up or stay the same, drop profitability. So then they're going to turn around and they're going to go, oh, well, this is easy. I will hire the four commentators that bring in the most coverage. We will bring that all in-house and cut Channel 4 and Sky and Germany and all of these other outlets out of this mix entirely. So they're not giving 50 cents on the dollar away. They're giving no no cents on the dollar away. And then you'll have one outlet. They won't do that. And and the reason why they won't do that is because you you need a global – you, you need to get on global TVs and in some sort of a broadcast medium, whether that's a subscription-based system like a cable system or it's over the air. You need to do that, and they recognize that. Um, there is some need for that. So you cannot completely you know, pull out. Take a look at the amount of coverage that uh, WRC gets. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know what's going on in WRC outside of Europe. In the countries that do not air WRC, which is, oh, the vast majority of them, they don't have the presence. 
They don't have the existence. And if Formula One is trying to build a market, they're not going to fully pull out of it. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I just, you know, you could, I could slice this and dice this several different ways. I love the idea. I want my personal plan would be to be able to subscribe to what I want to watch when I want to watch it. I get that. I love the idea. I want to make sure that it's sustainable. Because I'd hate to get addicted yeah. to it for a season and then have it go away because it became the manner of broadcast TV. Well, keep in mind, I think we've only got two years left of Channel 4 coverage, and then we're in trouble. Y don't depress me right now. <laughs> Moving on. To less depressing things? Possibly. <laughs> uh, members of the European Parliament have backed a call for an investigation into anti-competitive practices in Formula One. Okay. Um, the Southeast Labor, Labor Minister of the European Parliament, Annalise Dodds, calls for an investigation in an amendment to the Parliament's annual competition report, which passed by 467 votes to 186. Um, as a result, the EC could now launch an inquiry. Uh, according to Ms. Dodds, smaller teams are unfairly punished because of the way Formula One is run. Um, she's also previously expressed concerns over the sports takeover by Liberty Media and its UK tax, tax arrangements. Now, she points to the recent collapse of Manor as an example of how the sport is failing, small t failing some teams. Okay. Um, she says smaller teams are unfairly punished by an uncompetitive allocation of prize money that will always give the biggest teams more money, even if they finish last in every race. I think that we said that two years ago. A lot of people have. Um, from that perspective, yes, it, it could be considered anti-competitive. And, and, yeah, we're not going to beat this dead horse anymore. But know that the European Union or, or the European Commission could possibly investigate, you know, this coming a year after Sauber sent a letter to them saying, hey, you guys should look at this. Yeah. So as we can see, the EC and the EU are moving at a blinding pace. Hey, never underestimate the slow wheels of government grinding to a stop. Other pressure on Formula One. Yes. Self-driving cars. How, okay, how would that be a threat on Formula One? Well, um, about a week ago, a little over a week ago, a week and a half, was the Buenos Aires E-Prix, the Formula E-Race. Okay. One of the feeder events to the E-Prix was the first ever race between self-driving cars. Now, this was, this was a test event. Um, it only featured two cars, but it was a race. And it ended in a crash. <laughs> so on the threat meter, we're not talking a huge threat. We're, we're not talking a huge threat yet. But again, keep in mind, this is a test event. Mm -hmm. So the fact that the cars crashed doesn't necessarily mean that it failed. Right. This is just important data to collect to make things better. Are you projecting a world where our robot overlords would have car races with no drivers? What I think could be interesting, truly, 
is that you have a mixed field. Man versus machine. Mm-hmm. I think you've been watching too many Terminator movies. No, no. I'm, I'm, you know, we're not, we're not talking Death Race 2000 here. But I think it would be very interesting to, to see that combination. And, and this is how you, you truly uh, build out Formula One as a, um, both an individual sport and a constructor sport. Lay, lay, lay out your plan for me here. Because not only do you now have drivers competing against each other, but now the drivers are truly competing against a constructor because they're also going up at the same time against an automated driver. And it is truly the engineering skills of the team to build a competitive autonomous car that is as good, if not better, than the human driver plus the pushing of the human driver to deal with the fact that that autonomous car potentially won't make any unforced mistakes. Instead, that that autonomous car is trying to compensate and deal with and handle the human driver and the unpredictability of that human driver. It could be a very interesting concept. I thought we proved that the human brain can outthink the machine in the 80s when uh, the chess player beat Big Blue. Yes, but that was Big Blue. I don't know if anybody's gone up against Watson. And if you'll remember, Watson won in Jeopardy. We, no, we cannot have this. I am opposed. Okay. I am now standing up and saying I'm opposed to autonomous drivers and I'm opposed to shark fins. Well, since you're opposed to robotic third drivers, yes. What about Paul DeResta as a third driver? He's adorable. <laughs> Williams announced this week that they are retaining Paul DeResta as their reserve driver for 2017, because we completely forgot that Paul DeResta was their reserve driver for 2016. Oh, so that would be because my big question was, well, what will that do to his broadcast career? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Now, the the other thing that that it, when I when I read this, the other thing that came to mind and that I actually found kind of troubling. So Williams earlier this year, actually late last year, had a driver situation. Mm-hmm. They had Felipe retire. They had Valtteri getting poached by Mercedes, which Claire Williams said she knew was coming. Yeah, she, she knew was it was just, just a matter of time. For Toto's name to come up on her caller ID. And, and and Toto and Claire will not say what other compensations were made to make that deal happen. But they knew they needed an experienced driver. And they had Paul who was an experienced Formula One driver and is their reserve driver. And instead of grabbing Paul, they went back to the now-retired Felipe. What does that make you think about their opinion of Paul DeResta's driving? Um, I think a couple of things. I think that made a very big statement. 
Well, I think that it said that they do not think that Paul is returning to the grid as a full-time driver. But understand that that pull is not a one-way pull. It's not that Paul Darasta was... You don't know what Paul's position was on the fee, on the thing. He I, I might think be if, making more money in commentating. I think if if you're trying to go down the road of that, Paul probably didn't want to come back full time to Williams. I think you're wrong. I think if a team that was even remotely promising went to Paul DeResta and said, "Hey, we have a race seat. Do you want to come drive for us?" Paul would be dropping that mic and be, okay, here's my helmet. Let's go. I think he would do it in a heartbeat. I don't know. I don't think that his departure from Force India was um, necessarily amenable. No, I don't think so either, but... I think you're missing my point. He's not been on the grid in several years. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference in the level of preparation and uh, fitness and weight management and all those other pieces that you have to be to be a full-time Formula One driver. I mean, the... Look at the physical changes that happened in Mark Webber between him leaving Formula One and today. But one of the key pieces there, though, is that Mark Webber didn't retain privileges to a seat when he left Formula One. No. He went to to WEC and put himself in place for the rigors and, and, and... changed his training regime to fit the rigors of WEC as opposed to Formula One. And yes, Paul DeRest is driving is back in DTM and, and it's different rigors and different training regimes and all of that. However, I still go back to if he wanted Formula One, if, if the team thought highly enough of him, that would have been the direction that they would have gone and not Felipe. And I think more than anything else, that decision, especially to then turn around and keep him as the reserve driver, was a pretty big snub. Well, I would suggest that you reach out to Paul DeResta and get his actual opinion on it. Because you don't know what the conversations were. If he's already committed to DTM, if he was already... I mean, think about the the contracts that he might have had to undo... And I get contracts are only as good as, you know, the paper. But there are other far-reaching things. Felipe was actually, like, fully available. I would bet you that they could have gotten him out of that contract with whatever his DTM team is for a whole lot less than what it's going to cost to retain Felipe. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Felipe was completely available. He had nothing on his calendar. Paul DeResta already had a full calendar plus commentating duties mm-hmm. that's at least to at least two contracts that he would have had to break yeah but i bet you there's also um an escape clause in at least the broadcasting deal that says if he gets a seat in formula one he can walk with no penalties and no consequences whatsoever Maybe. because they want you want that cachet and i would bet you that in terms of dtm 
that there's also a similar escape clause that if another series, um, a higher grade series, comes calling, that they can break that contract. What if he likes driving DTM better? Again, I don't think that's the case. What if he's got a better likelihood of winning championships in DTM than he would ever have in Formula One? Except Formula One would bring him more money than a DTM championship. But he won't win a Formula One championship. What if he recognizes he's not good enough for that? What if it wasn't just Claire? I don't think so. Let us know what you think over on Facebook. So we saw the Williams car. Yes. We saw the Williams car twice. Finn. It's that, like duct that is no way to talk about Valtteri, and he's not with the team anymore. <laughs> Touche. Um, they did not put his face on the side of the car. No, they duct taped on a piece of sheet metal is what they did. It's ugly. Yeah, I, I, I don't like what they did with that, Finn. You know, when we first saw the car, which my understanding now is even though even Williams put out those pictures. That was an unfinished. <laughs> excuse me, that was an unfinished version of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, this past sat Friday or Saturday, new pictures came out um, with a real wing, as opposed to the the stub that was there before. I don't look like what they did at all. A giant piece of white. Sheet metal. On it, well, I think the way they ran the stripe back to the fin, it highlights it. It makes it stick out more. I like the double stripes. Mm-hmm. I like that. They're martini stripes. Yes. But they're the double. That's, that's what we're going to refer to them as martini stripes. But I like the two running up the nose. Mm-hmm. I like that. But I'm, I, I'm just not a fan of the fin. And it's the giant triangular fin that bothers me, where it goes off the back of the car and then sharp drops down. Well, you've already said you like the more sculpted look. That Haas came out with. I don't think anybody else has come up with... Nobody else really has that we've seen. A sculpted look like that. No, nobody really has. I think McLaren comes kind of close. There's a bit of a taper, but not much. Well, McLaren's fin is in black, and black makes everything look smaller. Oh, is that it? It, it? it was thinning? Yeah, it was slimming. Now, McLaren, two bits of McLaren news. Yes. D- despite all the other FUD that they put out this week, um, two bits of McLaren news. One, obviously, it's orange. Oh, it's orange. So, you know, because everybody was freaking out because it's going to be an orange car. It's orange. Yay. Yeah, it's a weird orange. I don't know. It's not orange. It's orange. But it's a color that will stand out. Yes. It, it, it's a combination that is going to stand out on the track. Yes. It is not yet another gla- black gray car. Now, the other thing, and I didn't know this. I found this out through McLaren's Twitter feed. Um, but 
hidden on the car. Actually, it's not really hidden, but it is on the side of the car, and it, and it is fairly minor, and I don't even think you can see it on any of our pictures that we've, we've got so far, um, is in a nod to uh, Bruce McLaren and his New Zealand roots, there is, and I think it's on a side pod, is a small silhouette of a kiwi, the sneaky kiwi. A sneaky kiwi. A kiwi bird in particular. So I don't think it's on any of the pictures that we got so far. I found this out from Twitter. But it's there, apparently. The other bit of news that came out this week, and Trisha, you have not seen it yet, uh, but the first trailer for the major motion picture about Bruce McLaren was released. Interesting. I'll have to go hunt it down and actually share that on the site and, and on Facebook. Uh, but it is about Bruce and his life and getting the team stood up and the incident that took his life. Mm. Well, the boy immediately wanted to know what the name of the movie was. It's McLaren. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's cool. We'll have to get the, the trailer up and schedule a day at the movies. McLaren also has released the teaser pictures, and, I, and you can pre-order their 2017 clothing line. And I am pleased to say that the god-awful gradient is gone. Actually, their stuff looks pretty good this year. Is it orange? Uh, there are a couple of orange highlights on some of this. And their driver suits have some orange highlights, but they're not fully orange. All right. So... Not bad. So can we talk about really ugly driver suits? Okay, sure. Welcome, Team Banana. <laughs> I, I, I'm not quite at Team Banana just yet. Oh. We'll get there. Okay. I didn't know that's where you were going. First, we have to talk about Pascal Verlein, who uh, is missing the first preseason test, as speculated. Uh, apparently, he is still feeling some pain and discomfort from his incident in Miami at Race of Champions. Ouch. So as a result... Uh, he will be replaced by Antonio Giovinazzi, uh, who is Ferrari's third driver. And I believe he may be, I don't know, he's not the American. But he is, he is the number three driver at Ferrari, who will be stepping in to fill Pascal's seat. Sauber's car came out. Sauber's was the first car we saw with the wing. And despite all of the increased money that they've got, everything that is happening, the one thing that struck me is that there's no sponsors on there. Well, I'm sure they're to come. I can only hope. I mean, it, they've got a couple of their longtime sponsors on there. Uh, there was uh, the, the branding for their 25th anniversary. But I got to say, this has got to be, much like with McLaren, and I didn't even mention this, but much like with McLaren, this has got to be a fairly important year for Sauber. Okay. You know, for McLaren, this is going to be year three of that partnership with Honda. Mm-hmm. A partnership that, as we all know, has been extremely disappointing. Um, Honda has gone, and as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, completely new concept for their engine. 
that they are rolling the dice here and are hopeful, but have already turned around and said that uh, they're highly disappointed in what appears to be or, or what rumors are of a major performance, another major performance gain happening at Mercedes. So they could still be on the back foot over there. Okay. You're hopping around on me, and I need, yeah, to, I I need to get a, a, a grip here. Back to Sauber, back to their livery. Well, that was my next jump, was okay. back to Sauber. So no sponsors, got that. <clears throat> Just need to talk about their livery for a little bit. Mm-hmm. They have the sculpted wing similar to Haas. Yeah. However, because they painted it gray, and there is no other gray on their car, it looks tacked on and duct taped. Okay. That is my problem. Here, I am demonstrating it, it, you the know, picture. It doesn't look quite so bad in these pictures with a black background. So as long as they keep a black background <laughs> around the car, it'll be fine. Yeah, as long as you can't <laughs> see it, that's fine. I, I'm assuming that they went with that as part of their livery for the stealth wing mode, or stealth fin mode. But, I mean, the blue is pretty blue. They picked a really nice, sharp-looking mm-hmm. blue. Stand out. I like that. The giant white swaths without any sponsors in them looks a little eh, but it gives them lots of blackboard space that they can maybe it's maybe this is uh, like whiteboard marker well, well, space the, they can just write on the, yeah. the sponsors let as me, they get let them. me write on that that's the thing for all of these teams and it's one thing that 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 wing does bring them is that's a fairly prominent location to slap sponsors on to which Ferrari put their big Ferrari flag on there. But still, it is a location that if they wanted to go and slap sponsors on there, that's a really highly visible location. Yeah. Um, I also have to say that I really liked the fact that Sauber went gold, not yellow this year, with their highlight colors that goes up either side of the nose and okay. the front wing is a gold color. I thought that was pretty, pretty nice looking. But all in all disappointed with the wing but i wanted to call out that the sculpted wing has to be integrated into the livery colors of the design you can't just slap it on that's my (laughs) problem with the wing is that it looks slapped on have i made myself clear (laughs) so moving on to team banana worst coveralls ever well i I gotta wonder is this the idea of alan prost who it, who we expected this to happen last year and it didn't but this year Alan Prost has been given an a role with the new team or with the team it's an advisory role so I don't think it's um it's titled like Nikki Lauda's non-executive role over at Mercedes but I suspect it's probably about the same kind of a role okay go go wander down the the, the pit lane during uh during pre-race and, and give comments, which, in all honesty, I, I hope he doesn't because I, I don't like listening to him. He puts me to sleep. <laughs> He's, He's hard to listen to when he puts me to sleep. The one time that he appeared on Channel 4, that was enough. But he's called the professor for a reason. He's a very smart guy. But he's just, he wasn't very interesting. Good point, good point. So my issue, so you're thinking that the fashion sense is because he's French? No, I, I would I, I would have hoped because they're French that they would have had much better fashion sense and, and given us more to look at when, when they released the R.S.17. 
Okay. Worst name on the grid. <laughs> no, there's worst. a worse one coming. Worst coveralls. Okay. Whoever thought black and yellow look really good together. And bumblebees, bumblebees have looked pretty for a long time. However, black tops with yellow pants to your race suits kind of makes you look like you're attempting fire rescue. No, they were going to, they wanted to be ready so that after any race, if they wanted to go trout fishing, they could. <laughs> do you think that they, they do kind of look like waders? You're right. They're, they're, they're very much waders. Fly fishing and Formula One driving uni suits. Do, right do we there. go with race suit or Gorton's fisherman? Let's do both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your designer. I, I'm wondering got if fired. I, I'm wondering if both drivers are going to have yellow helmets too. I don't know because they didn't do the big helmet reveal that some of the other people have done. They haven't yet, so maybe maybe they're working on it. You know, they're, they're, we're going to get the yellow helmets, and and then it's going to be the Gordon's Fisherman. Yeah, if they got yellow helmets, that definitely would be the Gordon's Fisherman. Now, why they thought it was a good look to cut the drivers, like, literally in half. The bottom half of you yeah. will be yellow, and the top half of you will be black. I don't understand. Do not understand. Now, I have to tell you. Team Overripe Banana. Overripe Banana. I have to tell you, they did something interesting with their wing. A, they put sponsors on it, which some of the other ones that I have. Okay, is, Infinity doesn't count. Not Infinity, but the RS. Oh, the R dot S is on there, the, and the Genii uh, Capital Group is on there. Genii. And on the shark fin. You know, I didn't even realize that Genii still had branding. Yep, it's still there. Interesting. But anyway, their fin is mostly black with a yellow stripe across the very tippy top, so it looks integrated with the car. Yes. So, again, I have to give you points if you tried to integrate it with the car. Um it's got a different shape, a yet a different shape. And then with the semicircular cutout, it doesn't have the harsh up mm -hmm. and down line, the right angle, but it's not as sculpted as the Haas. Um, but I also have to give Renault super points for aligning their color schemes with Pirelli. Okay, yeah. So anytime they drive with the yellow sidewall tires, they will have a beautiful package. So they can only use the yellow sidewall tires. That'll be their preferred tire on the R.S.17? Yes. It's the dots. It's all about the dots. Yeah. Yellow nose disappearing into black. Color livery. It, 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 it could work. I like the fact that there's bright colors returning to the grid. I'm very pro the bright colors on the grid. Very anti the coveralls for the Renault team. I think... Hulkenberg thought he looked ridiculous because he was embarrassed by them. <laughs> um, they look great as long as you don't see them full length. I have actually seen more mocking of those coveralls in my Twitter feed than I did of the anti-fin posts. Oh, wow. Yes. Sniff Petrol in particular went berserk over those coveralls. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture of uh, Hulkenberg and who's the other driver for Renault? Jolian Palmer. Jolian Palmer standing next to each other. And Hulkenberg's like, yeah, I know I look ridiculous. And Jolian Palmer is obviously smirking and looking at Hulkenberg going, yeah, you look as ridiculous as I do. Now, this isn't the first time that they have done the yellow trousers. Okay. Um, in a previous incarnation as a works team, 
they did race suits, especially for their engineers, and it may have been for the drivers as well, that had the yellow trousers, but it was the sky blue top. Uh, yes. I think it's the harsh... That may be French racing blue. It's the harshness between the black tops and the Gordon Fisherman pants. Yeah. That is not helping any. Um, I mean, if they had gone with striped, horizontal stripes, yellow and black, they could be bumblebees. <laughs> I, I think that they really needed to go for Team Bumblebee as opposed to Team Overripe Banana. Yeah. All right, so that's dissing Renault. Do we have anything to say about the BJM-10 of Force Sahara Force India? Other than the fact that, you know, last year around this time we were talking that the Sahara name was going to get ripped off the car because of the financial and legal issues of the founder of Sahara, and yet... It's still there. It survived last season, and it's still there this season, and it's still part of the team name. It is. It is. And VJ Malia came out of hiding. He was he was at the car launch, taking selfies with the car, no less. Hey. But VJ Malia came out of hiding because apparently Indian uh, police officials were not there. <laughs> I guess they didn't get invited. Well, Other than that, Sergio Perez standing next to Esteban Ocon, um, he's really small. <laughs> I don't think Esteban is all that tall of a guy to begin with. I don't think so. But Sergio is um, hes a short little man. Yeah. Um, now, again, we're going to go back to the Finn problem. They Force India has got logos all over. You know, They've got mm-hmm. sponsors all over their car. Could they have slapped a single sponsor on that fin? No. Could they have put any color on that fin other than the top color gray? So, again, it looks like it got duct taped on. It's like they didn't plan for it. They saw everybody else was doing a fin, and they just slapped a piece of sheet metal there. Not a fan. No, coveralls look pretty much similar to last year, so I don't have any comments about their coveralls. Okay. Um, Let's talk a little Mercedes before we get to the car. Okay. Okay. First off, no surprise number one, James Allison has been appointed technical director for the team replacing Patty Lowe. Worst kept secret ever. No, the worst kept secret is the one that is still technically a secret would be that that Patty Lowe is going to Williams, (laughs) where last week on the BBC, Claire admitted but not admitted that he's coming but won't admit to what role he's coming to and, you know, won't admit without not admitting that he's coming. Something about That's the worst secret ever. Something about <clears throat> you always have the stories before we can even write the press release? Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, completely unsurprising, the contracts for Toto Wolf and Nikki Lauda uh, both have signed deals taking them through 2020, so they will remain at the team. Again, completely unsurprising, um, although there wasn't a secret around that one. We just yeah. didn't know that their contracts were up. So they released their car. Yes. Now, we do have a mistake on our website. <gasps> we never make mistakes. Well, when we do, we rarely admit to them. Okay. <laughs> We initially uh, posted that the car was named the Mercedes-AMG F1 W08. We were wrong. 
The car is actually the Mercedes AMG F1 W08 EQ Power Plus. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. EQ Power Plus. No, W08 EQ Power Plus. W08 EQ Power Plus. Wow. That is going to make it so much faster. Apparently, this EQ Power Plus is some sort of a new branding concept that Mercedes has come up with. Um, I believe it's specific to the engine, and uh, yeah, I there was an explanation, and I kind of got two sentences into it and said, yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> but yeah, they, they made the name utterly ridiculous. Why don't you go ahead and talk first? And we'll see if you pick up on in what appears to be a fairly important design element. Well, I'm stunned <coughs> after all of the obnoxious fins that I have been seeing. I am stunned to see a Razorback on the car. There, It, it looks like much more of a small contoured fin sitting on the back of the car and um other than that similar styling some interesting side pod uh pieces that are not on some other cars there's like a a a wave thing that goes over the side pod i was kind of interested in well what what they actually did and it's not really a wave thing that goes over the side pod what you're seeing is the barge boards that we've seen in previous years, but what they've done is instead of those barge boards standing out in terms of their appearance, they integrated the design of the paint and the livery to incorporate those barge boards as if they weren't there so that they kind of blended in. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. That's what Mercedes has done there. I really like the paint job on the side where Patronus is with the, Mm -hmm. the, the streaky lines through it. I think that that's really modern and fast. It's almost like as fast as Painted on Flames, but not quite. Well, there, there's two things that you have missed. I'm sure. There's many things that I have missed. The one that everybody has talked about is if you go look towards the rear of the car mm-hmm. and you look at the base of your tail fin there, your original shark fin, or what is a shark fin for everybody else, Mm-hmm. Do you see the aerodynamic component that is sitting there? And you may not be looking at a great picture of it, but there is an aerodynamic component there. Uh, do tell. Do tell. What everybody initially thought was for testing purposes does not actually be. It appears to be an actual thing that, that uh, they have integrated into the design of the car. There is a T-wing just forward of the tail. And it's it stands up. It's a It's a... A uh, small fin that raises up just in front of the base of that uh, the tail there. Um, the T is actually over the tail, rises over the tail fin. And the belief is that that small T-wing is actually achieving the same goal as the tail fin that we're seeing on everybody else's car. It controls and calms the air that is headed to that tail fin. 
but does so in a much smaller and tighter package than the shark fins. Interesting. Ferrari also on their launch. Now we didn't get any we didn't get much in terms of significant pictures. Ferrari has the shark fin, but they've also got a smaller T-wing as well. And the question is, is this the magical loophole that Mercedes has found that they do not need to run the shark fin because instead they'll get that same benefit if not better with the T-wing. The other thing is that we have been told Mercedes has expressed some comments and some journalists have have mentioned that this is not the final configuration for the Mercedes car. Interesting. And that there is a design that includes that shark fin, and that shark fin will be coming about uh, probably in Barcelona and will make appearances at some races. The other thing to remember about that shark fin is that while for many of these teams, Force India is one of them, and we did not point out the um, return of the ridiculous nose on the Force India, uh, Force India says that that is 90% of the concept of what they have in place, what that shark fin in particular looks like is expected to vary track to track based on the aerodynamic demands of that track. Interesting. So at some tracks, we may see a more pronounced shark fin than at other tracks. And I can't believe you missed the Force India nose. Oh, because I just was trying to deny that it existed. See, this is what happens when we have two weeks off. We end up jumping around. It is yeah. a return to the 2013 um, protrusion. Yes, I, I was gonna, I was gonna go with protrusion, um, adult-rated nose, as it were. Yeah, in, in in many ways, it, it's a continuation of what we've seen Force India do with their nostrils. However, because they have disconnected the nostrils at the front. Um, it is adult looking again. Uh, yeah. It's a schnoz. It's definitely a proboscis. So let's talk, let, let's go back to, to Mercedes. Because Lewis Ham- Hamilton was nice enough to give us some comments. Lewis Hamilton over the past couple of weeks, um, the, the last two weeks, has apparently been talking out of both sides of his mouth again. Shocking. So let, let's first talk about the car before we get to the other comments that came out of both sides of his mouth. Um, he started off the about two days before the car was revealed and was giving his impressions of the car uh, where he said that um, it looks like a boat. <laughs> he says that there's a lot more car in front of him. There's a lot more car in back of him. It's a lot wider. It looks like a boat. And then we go to the reveal day where one of the things that Mercedes did, the car was revealed over at Silverstone, and they used some of their filming hours. Uh, And as part of their filming hours, uh, they slapped a camera on the nose of the car and did a live uh, commentary of Lewis driving the car uh, around a short version of Silverstone. Okay. Um, as he's coming out of the pit lane, he's commenting about how much wider the front end of the car is and how much wider the, the, the tires are and sounds unimpressed. 
and then does his lap and is whooping and yelling and acting that, oh, he's all excited and this car is awesome. It's the greatest car ever. It's terrific as he's coming into the pit lane. But it's wider and it feels bigger. But this car is awesome. It is entirely possible that the car changed his mind on that one lap. It is. It it 100% is. But we have on one end, he's complaining about the aesthetics, and then on the other, it's it, it's awesome. It's it, it, it's great. It's it's cool. It's fantastic. Have you ever seen how Lewis Hamilton dresses? <laughs> Do we honestly think that we should be trusting Lewis Hamilton to give us good re- good commentary on how something aesthetically looks? Okay, so how about this? incident of Lewis talking out of both sides of his mouth. Okay. So Lewis uh, held a fan and press attempt or, or event with UBS, which is one of the team's uh, sponsors, um, in which he commented, and, and I think it was in response to a fan's question that, that was asked at the event um, regarding things that he would like to improve in Formula One. And one of the things that he called out was the ability, the the free availability of data between drivers. And that he did not like how drivers were able to share data and learn from each other on a team. And he specifically called out how he can go out, he can do his laps, do his homework, and then the other guy sees everything. Yeah, on the same team. Yes. So, yeah, all the telemetry, all of the areas that that he did well and you know he's breaking later into a corner so that they can do the same thing and he's on a throttle at this point and he doesn't like that okay now remember this is the lewis hamilton who at mclaren tweeted out jensen button's telemetry data and his telemetry data because he didn't think that the the team was preparing the cars the same exactly and he's since come back and and he's he's backed that up a bit and and said that well you know um obviously there's some value in uh the the teams and the drivers getting the telemetry data and and there's things that we need to know and it helps us develop the cars and blah blah woof woof but yeah then he comes back out and says the other the exact opposite we like lewis but lewis you gotta be careful man i know Lewis is very good when he's in the car driving. <laughs> Focus on what you do well. And do you know what his new teammate does well? Are you going to say sit on a tire? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say sit on a tire. <laughs> we finally got a driver sitting on it. You know, we didn't get a lot of them this year. It was very disappointing. But we got one. We got one. And it was our boy, Val Terry, Your sitting boy. on a tire. <laughs> I'm very I want to call out that he did not follow in his um, predecessor's footsteps, literally, and wear the uh, teal, tealy color of Patronus in his Puma shoes. He's actually going with the thin blue Puma shoes. Okay. I just want to call that out because it's a much better color. Can, can we get those shoes from Puma? You know, I haven't looked to see if those are available, but I would not be surprised if they're not available soon. They won't be exact. Because you're going to make a request? It's been known to happen. (laughs) It's been known to happen. You know people? I'm still waiting for the Red Bull luggage, though. Yeah. That, 
I, I would rather them instead of um, some of the other things that they have done for us. Yeah. Hashtag faster together. <laughs> Speaking of Red Bull, um, Red Bull uh, released their car this morning as we record Sunday morning. Um, all they did was put out a video. They have uh, given up on any kind of launch events whatsoever. Um, so we got one angle. We didn't even get stills of the car yet. I'm kind of disappointed. Uh, but you can go check out the video over on our website. They provided that to us specifically so that we could share it. Yes. Um, you cannot share the video off of their website, but we got it from them. Okay. So Say what you want about Red Bull. Their cooperation with us is fantastic. We love them for it. Thank you, Christian. I appreciate you returning my calls every time I have reached out to touch to touch you. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> and with that, I'd like to wow. announce that our, um, <laughs> our connections with Red Bull are now over. Um, no, I'm kidding entirely on both counts. Um, That's <laughs> Tim Taylor, care of Tool Time. P.O. Box 3273. Ginger Spice, don't put a hit out on me, please. <laughs> anyway, no. Um, so the video that they sent out, I have, I have thoughts. They are fixated on their... Number 13. The number 13, because this is the 13th Red Bull. It's RB13. So there was all sorts of the making the unlucky number lucky, all of that imagery, many, many lucky cats. Um, I was very happy to see that they used our own personal house panther in their lead up. (laughs) I'm quite sure that that is our panther. He didn't appreciate what they did to his eyes. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. The context, they, they burned. Um, <laughs> but the glimpse of the car um, that they did show, it looks like they have given up on that um, that embossed design with the the matte. No, it's still a matte it, paint job. It's a matte paint job. But remember how they had it with um, the the bulls were in shiny thing. It was on their, their logo wear, that two-tone yeah. thing. Yeah. That looks like it's gone. The coveralls look like it's gone. Yeah, off of that they're too. not doing a matte colors in, in the race suits. Um, now, did you happen to see on their Facebook feed? Because I was looking for stills and I couldn't find stills yeah, of the car. Happening. But they did take pictures of a Aston Martin with the Red Bull paint job. That yes, they, can they, I last just, week just say is. Hot. Yeah, last week that came out. Um, that is a wow. one of the many design partnerships that has occurred in the last few weeks between uh, Red Bull's design folks and Aston. It is a matte navy blue Aston Martin with red highlights where chrome would normally be. Yes. And a sill plate that says Red Bull on it and all of those fun little features and i think racing seats but oh that was beautiful yeah so i can't talk about your f1 car because you can't give me pictures of it has the stupid fin just saying but i can't talk about it but i can talk about that aston that was gorgeous the other team that gave us kind of a a half-hearted uh release was ferrari yes which also was a, hey, look, here's video of it coming out of the garage at Fiorano, and we've got our pictures online. Mm-hmm. But at least they gave us some stills. They gave us some nice stills. They did give us some nice stills. 
Um, I have to go back to the, the fin problem. You don't paint your fin white. It looks bigger. <laughs> and it's ugly. They also had, at least in the car that ran on the track at Fiorano, that smaller detail. I don't think you can see it in the pictures, that, that the stills that they sent over. Um, but it sits above the fin. At the end, tail end of the fin? That yes, that's the detail that you see at the tail end of the fin. So it is there. It is there. Um, but there's, unlike the Mercedes where it sticks up on a pole from the back, this is attached to the tail end of their fin. Mm-hmm. And they actually have a fin that's Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen. Yes, they do have a fin that's Kimi Raikkonen. And we'll talk about that fin in a little bit. Um, uh, again, they are going with their white highlights, but much more red car. Um, other than that, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one because there's not much to say. Um, I hope it goes faster this year, really, but I hate that shark fin. It looks like an afterthought because it's not like the rest of the car. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing with WEC is that they are, it looks like it's part of the car. It doesn't stick up higher than the tail. It, it, it's the back of the car is molded to it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like they cheated off somebody's homework, and they said, "Oh, they've got a fin. I should put one on too." And they they didn't it didn't lead with that as part of the design. They added it, and it feels added. Okay. So our last two stories. Okay. We we don't have uh, Toro Rosso yet. I'm gonna bet it's blue and red. Blue and red, and we're probably gonna see that tomorrow when testing starts. Um, was impressed to see some of the teams went with some sort of a launch event, um, while others went with these scaled back. Okay, here's some video. We're done. Um, it, yeah, nothing compares to oh. Eddie Jordan releasing his Jordan car on in Red Square and the T-shirt. There, there's none of the T-shirt cannons or any of that stuff. Yeah. But at least there's something yeah. to say, hey, look, we're excited for the season to start, for some of the teams at least. I'm excited for the seasons to start. It is under 30 days now. It is under 30 days, and as I mentioned, uh, testing begins tomorrow, Monday, so we will actually see the cars doing more than just filming runs. Um, and we'll actually get to see what changes the teams are going to make and what will work and what won't work and start to have an idea as to whether or not somebody's going to be able to bring it. All right, so I know we have our future prediction show coming up, Mm -hmm. but I do have, since testing does begin tomorrow, I have one lone question for you. Okay. I want you to name the team that will not have as many laps as they should. I'm not going to say, you know, Bales, but remember, like, over the last couple of years, we've had McLaren do, like, eight laps or something like that. So if the prediction is the average number of laps, who is going to fail testing? Who is not bringing it? I think the two teams that are going to – actually, I think there – I think there could be as many as three teams struggling. Okay, who are three teams struggling? testing. I think uh, McLaren will continue to – underperform it at uh, testing and and not do as many laps and struggle with reliability. Um, I think Ferrari also is going to struggle with reliability. Um, Actually, you know what? I'm just going to leave it at the two. I don't think Renault is going to. I think we're going to see them start to wake up, although their engine is also supposed to be dramatically different. 
But I, I, I think Honda is going to continue to struggle. Okay. Interesting. The, now, do you think anybody will will crash or be in flames at the end of testing? I think there. Well, there, there's definitely going to be crashes. How many? I don't know. I think actually the bigger question is going to be uh, the comments that we're going to get from the drivers at s after having driven the car at speed, especially after the second session, uh, um, in the second week of testing, where uh, they're doing more race distances. That's what I think is going to be interesting. Okay. Um, the final day of Barcelona testing one will be specifically set aside for testing wet tires. Uh, Barcelona has done uh, testing and proof of concepts to show that they can artificially moisten the track uh. for testing purposes. Okay. Uh, they released pictures showing a car driving down an artificially moistened track. It's called sprinklers. I don't think they have sprinklers. I think they're actually using water trucks. Okay. And our last story. Like I said, I was going to get back to Ferrari's fin. <laughs> Ferrari's fin, Kimi Raikkonen, it has been announced, according to Auto Week, is opening a karaoke bar in Helsinki, Finland. All right. I didn't know karaoke was a big thing in Helsinki. I don't know about that, but... I guess Kimmy likes it, and he's opening a bar. We don't know exactly where. The, I mean, just the fact that Kimmy's opening a bar Not shouldn't news. be a huge surprise. <laughs> Not news. But then you add on top of it that it's going to be a carrot. And, and, and think about this, okay? Already listening to Kimmy Raikkonen at an interview is kind of awkward and weird. Think about it. Kimmy Raikkonen singing karaoke. How much more awkward and weird could that get? Um, it could get quite awkward and weird, but you don't know. Maybe he's phenomenal. Maybe. Doubt it, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's phenomenal in a whole different way. <laughs> well, you know, he's going to need a second career whenever he finally leaves Formula One. Well, he is apparent. There is apparently video on YouTube of Kimmy singing karaoke. I will not share them here. Maybe, maybe he will become the Sam Malone and own his own bar post his uh, sporting career. I do not see Kimmy Raikkonen stopping drinking anytime soon. And I brought our entire show full circle. Yes. I'm just pointing out, linking the beginning to the end, as one says is an important key feature of podcasting. So now that we've gotten at least some of the cars out there, we'll put up uh, Toro Rosso stuff once we finally get them. But let us know what you think, whether it's on the post for the show or on the individual cars. We'd like to hear your thoughts on the, the look of the cars, on the... Um, the shark fins, were you as excited as Patricia was to get a picture of a driver sitting on a tire? Yes. We want to know. And do you agree with me that the shark fin is ugly? Well, that's where I said the you know opinion of the shark fin. I just want to make sure that everybody understands that the goal is to agree with me on how ugly the shark fin is. Agree with you or Martin Brundle? Well, Martin Brundle agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> Just and pointing on, that out. And on that note, <laughs> we'll call it a show.
They are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. 